Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for Season 8, Episode 14. There's a lot of twisting and turning in this episode. We heard the final half of Agnes Courtney's prayer journal that went from September 12th all the way up to the morning before she died. We had a lot of information from that. And as you heard on the episode, after I finished recording, I got the call and received the news that, that sadly, Deb Perringer had passed away. And didn't really have, hadn't even had time to process it yet at that point. So we'll we'll talk a little bit now about what our plan is going forward as we're still kind of spitballing those ideas. Joined in the studio with Zach. Hello. And Mike. Hey. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about all of that, what the plan is going forward, and answer your questions about part two of Dear Lord. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Zach, other than um, dealing with the, the passing of Deborah, what did you think about part two of Dear Lord? You know, it, it felt a lot of the same. I mean, I don't feel like her, her attitude has changed. Her feelings have changed. I mean, she, she seems a little happier with Deb's new therapist or whatever it right. may be. I mean, it's redacted out, which is, uh-huh. seems like a weird redaction. Well, they 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 were pretty consistently redacting throughout, like any mention of her having any mental illness or mental hospital. Okay, and you can kind of piece it together, but it's frustrating because mm-hmm. it's redacted out of there. Constantly. So she seemed pretty happy about that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, it's it's a lot of the same. A lot, you know, she's upset about Brenda not being thankful, and she's right. she's frustrated with the lack of support from from Deborah and and Paul about Angela. Uh-huh. There's, there's a lot of things that that are in there. I, I was trying to look at it from two different perspectives. One, just a general look at victimology. And then secondly, okay, so Deb is the convicted, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're, so this is a really good insight into the relationship between her parents and, and her to see if there's any conflict they're brewing that could lead to, you know, like I was looking, are there entries where they're saying, you know, we're just going to cut her off financially and you know, entries where I've just had enough of Deb and all this. And I didn't see any of that at all. On the contrary, to me, it seemed like, you know, she, as you said, she, she has a new, I believe it's a psychiatrist. Um, I only say that because they're prescribing medications. And mm, I think okay. you have to be a psychiatrist to do that. 
and you know Deb seems happy with her, and she's hoping that the new psychiatrist works out for her. Yeah, I think she's frustrated with uh, some of the lack of appreciation. But it seems it seems like right there at the end, like Deb, the situation with Deb was getting better after she gave them the um, you know the, the open letters to the daughter, open letter to the daughters. You know, and she said she gave Deb her copy, which we know that happened before Halloween because mm-hmm. that's the day that she wrote about it. But Brenda hadn't received hers. So we see kind of the response from Deb after receiving that letter. You know, she's, she took Lloyd out to breakfast and she went over and was offering to help clean for, for her parents. So, you know, it seemed like she was making an effort to try to, you know, like that she was hearing her out and trying to make an effort to make things better. It is interesting, though, you know, when you're looking at what's the, what's the thing that's different? What could be a trigger? It seemed like everything with Brenda or with Deborah was kind of more of the same, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing throughout the whole thing. She's struggling with her mental health and doing her best, and, and Agnes wants to make sure she you know keeps Deb's family together. But with Brenda, we have this pending. You know, the, in the very last entry, she says that she's going to give Brenda her letter, but she wants to confront her with Smitty. And I I, I wish that we had I don't know. If, phone records or anything, but it, it would be interesting to find out if somehow there was some contact. I don't think there was. It doesn't seem like there was, but if there was some contact with Brenda that day because the way she made it sound was that, you know, there this is a pretty harsh letter and she so much so that she wants Smitty there with her when they when she delivers it. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I did pick up, which has nothing to do with that, but I don't know if it, it lends to Deb being innocent or guilty, but she does make mention of Deb coming over and playing on their computer. Right. So Deb does use their computer. Right. And, and we knew that from the Dearest Brenda letter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she typed that on their yeah. computer as well. So it's not uncommon for her to be on that computer. Right. Which could be, you know, I mean, there was the DNA on the, the, the caller ID box, which was by the computer. I mean, right. there's a lot of reasons. That that could be there now if we do know for a fact that she's there m- more often than we were led to believe. Yeah. Well, at least two occasions we know. So mm-hmm. the dearest Brenda letter was written, I don't remember the date, was early October, I think. And then on the 31st, she said, I think it was the 31st when she said that she was playing on the computer. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, at least two occasions we know where she, where Deb's been on the computer. Also, did you notice the, the, the kind of the nap, the information we have about Agnes's naps? I guess I didn't notice it. I listened a couple times, but I guess I, I must have passed over it. Well, it seems like there's a few times where she will take a nap before Smitty goes to work. Okay. Um, there was a few instances of that, which kind of is consistent. But what I caught was during one of her, she went to the chiropractor. And there's only one time in there where she says she went to a chiropractor. Uh, we know she went the day she was killed. But she said she got home and she felt terrible. And uh, and she says she was going to lay down, and take a nap, and she says she doesn't know if it's from the adjustment why she feels so ill or for some other reason. But it made me think that maybe that's a common thing with her when she gets adjusted, that it causes her not to feel good, and that's why she would go lay down. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it just it just jumped out at me because it's like there's a consistency with the day of the murders, the the chiropractic adjustment. Other than that, you know, I, I kind of stand by what I had said in the episode, which I haven't listened back to it. Of course, my mind's been reeling since then with the news of Deb's passing. But I kind of stand by that. Really, after I look at if I'm if I'm just studying victimology, you know what we learned about Lloyd through this, at least through Agnes's perspective, is Lloyd is extremely non-confrontational, especially when it comes to family. So, you know, you start to pair things together. Like, so Agnes is laying down sleeping. That only leaves Lloyd, you know, out in the living room when the attacks start. In my opinion, anyway, it just seems very, very unlikely that he would. You know, say it was Deb, like say something to Deb to trigger her to mm-hmm. 
attack. And then of course, you know, and then you, you couple with that again the fact that we know that the that we know the note, regardless of who typed it, typed it before the murders. I don't know. Like I, I think that this was I, I'm leaning more towards now that it was a premeditated attack that doesn't seem to be a family member. That situation doesn't seem to be I don't see any motive at all for Deb to kill them. Well, and I think the one thing you do have to keep in mind is that this is a one sided conversation. Right, for sure. Just because Agnes feels this way towards Brenda and feels this way towards Deb, like uh-huh. she makes no mention of cutting Deb out whatsoever. Right. But does Deb feel that way or does Deb feel like she's going to get cut out? Does Brenda feel like she's being thankful when Agnes thinks she's not? You know right. what I mean? It, we have to keep in mind that this is a very one sided transaction. Right. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, we see some things in there like, um, when Agnes is describing her interactions with Brenda, which, you know, as you said, they're, they're one-sided, but it seems very clear that they've had direct communication about Brenda being pissed about Agnes writing some letter to Sarah mm-hmm. uh, about things she said to him that, you know, that, that she, she clearly seems to be it, – it seems unlikely to me that she's not pulling away in some fashion. Now, the reason for it, you know, that's all perception, I mm-hmm. think. You know, for, in Agnes's mind, that's all her, Brenda's fault. Because she's, you know, she's ungrateful where in Brenda's, you know, it may be, you know, it could be that whatever Agnes wrote to Sarah and the things she was saying to them truly was out of line. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, you're just a, you know, a poisonous part of my life that I'm cutting out. You know, and and the the part that I I guess that I'm stuck on, even though it doesn't mean much, is the part with the pearls. Agnes makes a big deal about the pearls. And she does mention that Brenda says thank you. But she didn't say enough. But she didn't say enough. Right. Now, maybe on Brenda's point of view. She thought she said enough. Right. You know what I mean? She does. She didn't know that she needed to make a big to-do about this. There seems to me, to, it, it, just based on the, the Dearest Brenda letter that Deb wrote and from the Agnes's journal, there, there definitely seems to be kind of a theme of expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would not say that's a, that's a bad thing, but it's you, you see a lot from both of them in their writing that they're doing something and they have in their mind already an expectation for how you're going to respond. Yeah. So like the pearls. You see, she says in there, she said, thank you. She, did, she didn't say, oh, they're beautiful or, oh, I really like them. You know, so, you know, for Brenda, that could just be like her, oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that's mm-hmm. just how she's going to respond to it and truly was thankful for them. But she didn't meet the expectations for how she should have. Yeah. But so I try to filter that stuff out. and I'm just looking at just what are the the actual true things that are happening in the family dynamics. So we know from. Deb's letter to Brenda, she kind of says the same thing about Lloyd that, you know, he doesn't talk much. He doesn't get involved and they just kind of, he's just kind of there in the peripheral. And then in Agnes, he kind of confirms that by saying that he won't get involved in, mm-hmm. you know, that, that he's just doesn't want any kind of confrontation, but it just leads me to believe that it just seems unlikely that regardless of who it was, that Lloyd would cause a problem. I, and, and I, what I don't see in that study of victimology is a motive for Deb or a motive for Brenda. I mean, yes, it seems like they're pushing Brenda away or they're, they're, they're on the verge of cutting her off, but it doesn't seem, it doesn't read to me as though Brenda gives a shit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like she's, if Agnes's perception of the situation is accurate, that Brenda's kind of had enough of them. Yeah. Doesn't want anything to do with them. So I, I don't see that as a motivation. Of course you can say money, because if they die, the money's going. But but you could you could put that on either of them, and you know that's just a it, to me it's just not enough there. It's not enough to be like you know what if from what we see from Deb, she truly loved her mother. It was very very close with her mother, not so much close with her father. But I don't see there being enough of a financial gain there 
to murder someone who you truly love and care about. And I do believe she truly loved and cared about her mom. And especially with the financial gain when they seem to be writing her checks left and right. And that, right. So why, I mean, you're not gaining a ton there. No, she's had a history for 30 years of any time or 20 years, any time she needed help that her mom and mom and dad helped her out. So it just doesn't, I mean, yes, you can say, yeah, but if they both die and they would have to both die mm-hmm. and I don't get caught, you know, murdering them in their own home in broad daylight and I don't get caught, then I'll get half of this estate, which I'm sure she has no idea how much that is. You know, her parents are both government workers. Surely she wouldn't think that there were multimillionaires or anything. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, another thing I take away from it, too, is the fact that Agnes did not seem to like Paul very much at all. No, not anymore. And no. she really had a lot of resentment towards James. For so, sure. So yeah. she did not care for her daughter's partners no. in the slightest bit, it seemed like. It seemed like they, to me, it seemed like there was just, you, you can kind of see the, the the relationship breaking down with Paul and them. Um, if you compare both Deb's letter and the prayer journal, because there's hints in the prayer journal that, you know, they used to be close. Paul used to call them. Paul used to stop by. I think they did like Paul. Okay. And um, remember in Brenda's, in Deb's letter to Brenda, she put in there that, after they bought the house and they came and they were, you know, they didn't kind of react the way they thought they were they were going to react and it hurt Deb's feelings that Paul was, you know, she said Paul's said to hell with them, as I think is what the letter said. Okay. And so it, to me, it seems like similarly to Brenda, Paul was pulling away from them. And then that, I think, was causing the rift. But I think they at some point did like Paul. Okay. You know, and not that they didn't like him then, but they were just, there was definitely a problem there. Anyway, we'll get, I, Mike, I know we don't, we have questions i'm sure a lot of them have to do with where we're going from here so we'll just we'll bounce through some of these questions about the kind of episode specific stuff and then we need to talk about where we're going where we are going to go from here all right sounds good to me our first question comes from listener jennifer she says was brenda married after aaron but before she got with james you mentioned something from agnes's dear lord letters where she was talking about james saying that him and brenda had been together for five years which would be since sarah was about 13 and she mentioned something about when did Brenda divorce so-and-so. I can't remember the name now, but it definitely wasn't Aaron. It almost made me think that maybe Agnes was thinking that Brenda had cheated with James before she ended the relationship with this other person. Can you clarify? Yeah, I definitely got that impression too. And I, I wasn't aware of another marriage there, but that's the way it seemed. The name was Jeff. You know, she said, you know, you know when you left Aaron and then Jeff and then James, it seems like Jeff was, if not a marriage, a relationship, 
after the divorce with Aaron, who was Agnes's nephew. Yeah, she she doesn't come out and say that they cheated, but she said, I, th- I think the entry said something along the lines of, she said that her and James had been together for five years. When did, and then she asked herself in the journal, when did her and Jeff divorce or split up, question mark? So, so yeah, I think the implication is there that she's 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 at least pondering or wondering if there was an overlap in those relationships. I mean, she doesn't come out and say that there was, but it's just it, it seems just like a you know just a a string of thoughts as she's writing that. Wait a minute, five years. When did her and Aaron break up? All right, Ashley says if we continue on and somehow manage to prove Deborah's innocence, is there any recourse? Could Angela sue the state for wrongful imprisonment or a wrongful death claim? That'd be a question for a lawyer. I don't know as far as Angela. I mean, people have been exonerated. I always I have a hard time pronouncing this word posthumous, posthumous, posthumously. However, you pronounce that word. I threw an unnecessary lisp in there. <laughs> I feel like the lisp is written into the word. But uh, yeah, I mean, so she could be still exonerated, but it's really more of an honorary. Thing you know, obviously, because she's passed away and she wouldn't reap any of the benefits from that. As far as being released from prison, as far as her daughter having any recourse, I don't know. I think it would have to be very, very, very clear what happened. You know that like she's exonerated because you know DNA evidence proves that it was someone else. Then, I, then I think maybe she she might have something there. But I, I don't know that that's. Yeah, I, I've spoken well, well messaged with. Angela and I it just doesn't seem like that's anywhere near the front of her mind right now. Right now, she's just trying to bury her mother. Lolly says, "Does Deborah have any type of appeal in the hands of any court at this time?" She's asking only because taking another case is reference. If a person passes away while there is an open appeal, the person is acquitted or exonerated of the crime they were charged for. She's wondering if this would work in this case. Uh, I don't know how that would work, but uh, but Depp does definitely not have any active appeals right now. So, I mean, I don't know if it's the same case she's referring to, but I do know like the the Aaron Hernandez murder. He was a famous football player and uh-huh. he was convicted of murder. That they tried to do that and they exonerated him, and then the court ruling went against it and and reaffirmed the the conviction. It was a weird all why after he was passed all away. after he had passed away. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. These are definitely questions that we we need to answer. I mean. It, you know, the tricky thing now is, you know, as we'll get into kind of spitballing where we're going from here, is it's a resource issue. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as the Innocence Project, it's a tricky situation because certainly you want to continue to fight in in her honor. You want to fight for um, Agnes and Lloyd more than anything to find out who their true killer is. But when it really comes down to it, you know, the Innocence Project would have to be the one's filing motions and devoting resources for testing and things like that. And there's a long, long list of living people in prison that are, are waiting for their help. So uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of these questions are going to have to be answered in the, in the coming weeks where we're going from here. Sue says, wondering the guy's take on part two of the journal and if they felt it was written for at least Deb to read, possibly Smitty, and incite action on their parts to make Agnes more happy. Also, if we're going to discontinue the case, could we at least get a look at the documents including Deb's statements and testimony so those of us that are interested can reconcile some of this on our own minds? Um, I, I guess this is, instead of keep pushing it back, this is as good a place as any. Uh, as, as far as the journal, I, I don't know what you think, Zach, but I don't, I don't think that it was written with the intention of somebody else reading it. I don't think it was either. 
strictly because of the fact of she did write a letter to her daughters. Right. So if, if she was trying to do this to make somebody else see it, I don't think she would have wrote the other letter too. I agree. Yeah. So let's talk about where we're going from here. Nothing is set in stone right now. I could tell you, I will tell you this for at least the next, this week and next week, I've got a couple episodes planned with this case and we're going to continue on with those. Um, butting, buttoning up some loose ends. I want to cover her, um, you know, some new information we got in the trip that we haven't talked about yet. And I definitely want to get through Deb's trial testimony. Um, so at least for a couple of weeks, we're going to continue working towards that while we figure things out. I do have, so this is a tricky time to be just very transparent with our process right now. Because of COVID right now, it is almost impossible for me to get to start a, a case from scratch right now because I can't get documents. Most district attorney's offices, police record, you know, the records bureaus in many municipalities right now, you know, Fort Worth included, are shut down. I'm still waiting on an open records request from Fort Worth PD that I can't get because there's nobody in there. They're still running a skeleton crew. But, you know, so, so whatever case we do next needs to be a case where we already have documents. Allison did pitch to me, Allison Clayton from IPTX pitched to me another case that they've been kind of waiting to share with me. And it is, um, from the little bit I know about it so far, they have documents. We already have trial transcripts. We already have all of that. But it's a very, very, very interesting case. Um, but I have to do, you know, that's kind of why we need these couple of weeks at least to continue on while I get, you know, our, our feedback on this. Obviously, we were nowhere anywhere close to thinking about starting another case right now. Um, so I'm going to start looking into that case. It seems like that will probably end up being our season nine case for now. And, and we've got a ton of great, just so you know, we have a ton of great, great case submissions that are cases that we want to jump into through our website, through letters we get. But as of right now, there's just no way for us to get everything we need from those cases as documents wise. As far as Deb's case, it kind of comes down to what I was just talking about, where I don't feel right just dropping the case and leaving it. I feel like we have a commitment to Agnes and Lloyd. I have a commitment to Deb. And as much as I would like to fulfill that commitment, I, I keep falling back to the fact that there are so many people out there that need our help. And exonerating Deb after her passing is, to be, to be frank with you, is a long shot amongst long shots. I mean, this is already a complex, comp very complicated case. And now we just basically cut the resources out because, like I, like I mentioned, IPTX. I mean, I haven't spoken to them about this, but I can't imagine they're going to, you know, devote their attorneys who are, you know, they're, they're filtering through thousands of cases to pick the ones that they can help with. And between their time and their money for testing, I just can't imagine that they can that they're going to put all that effort, time, and money into this case. Because remember, their their mission is very, very clearly to exonerate the wrongfully convicted. It's it's not as broad of a stroke as what we have where we're, we're trying to find truth and justice, and however that means. They're only trying to prove the innocence of the people in prison and get them out of prison. Well, they can't do that for Deb. We can continue to to an extent, but... Again, it just it, it just seems like a really long shot that will get to a conclusion without having her in the picture. But I'm still wrestling with it. So this is an idea I'm kicking around. 
and I'd like some input on it. And, and, and this would take some of our more computer savvy folks to maybe jump in and help. But what I thought about doing is, as I said, for the next at least two weeks, I've got a few things I want to cover. And then after that, to take the group of you listeners, the whole principle behind what we do is that this is uh, you know, a crowdsourced investigation that many minds from different walks of life working together can do more than any one mind on the planet. And there are many people who have expressed that they, they want to see this case through to the end. And so what I was thinking of doing is somehow setting up an online platform. I don't want it where there's just a link to where, you know, anybody can dive in and grab, you know, the whole pile of documents and, and dump because there's stuff that needs to be redacted properly. And there's, there's just a lot of work that needs to be done and sorted. And I don't want to end up being dumped out all over the Internet. But there's a group of people that want to get together and it could be, you know, 10 of you or it could be 10,000 of you that want to work this case that if we can somehow set up a secure area where I can just take the entire case file and put it into a place where all of you can get to it and start to sort through it and continue an investigation on your own and then and then bring back to me that that we can then talk about on the podcast as updates or bonus episodes if and when you find anything significant through that investigation. There are a few things that I'm still working on that are just things that were already happening behind the scenes that I'm going to continue to work on. And if I get those answers, obviously I'll update you. But there needs to be a place you know, where all of you can get together and discuss, which would be easy enough on Facebook or wherever. But I, I, I need a secure place where we can share the case files. Because you know, again, I have besides the fact that it's not all redacted properly, a lot of my work products in there, there's a lot of stuff. So I want it so that there's a, you know, a control of who's getting in there and is, and is sorting through and working the case. So if anybody has any ideas of how to handle that, then you know, I, I think that's what we will probably do. As far as moving beyond that, again, I've got this case that we're looking at now. So far, it seems like it, it, would, it would make a great case for us to cover in any circumstance, but especially now because we have already have the documents for this one. I think that that's probably where we'll go with season nine, but we won't, st- I will tell you this, we're not going to start season nine regardless of what shakes out between now and then until probably the second week in October. Um, and a lot of that's just logistics because Mike and I are going to be gone on a trip on the, in the first week of October. And then uh, Mike has his wedding right after that, you know, so there's going to be some time. We, we just don't want to be, we don't want to launch into a new season and then have where, oh, we got to record three episodes ahead of time to, to bridge that gap for us. So our intention is after all of that is over with, mid-October, we'll, we will launch. I don't have the date in front of me, but whatever whatever the Sunday is, probably around October 18th, if that's a Sunday, um, will probably be when we would launch into Season 9. Now, between now and then, again, I'm going to do a couple episodes at least on Deb's case, and then we're still going to have probably four weeks after that. My thoughts were, there's one case for sure that I want to talk about, and it's the uh, Ivan, I don't know how to pronounce it, there's a Cantu, uh, a death penalty case um, that our friend from season six, Liz Rose, has been helping another podcaster who's working on that case. Um, so I, I, I think I want to have uh, possibly Liz, and I think Patrick's the name of the podcaster, come on and talk about that case, and we can kind of pick that off a little bit. And then I thought maybe if you all want to submit we don't get much opportunity here to do what I would call short form 
where we can, you know, have a, a discussion on a particular case in a one episode deal. We, we're not digging deep for months and months and months into something. So let us know, submit through either our website, email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever. You know, if there's a case that you would love to hear, kind of, you know, we will do the same format where I would kind of, you know, try to interview somebody or whatever for the Sunday episode, and then we'll come in and talk about it in the follow up. Um, but let us know. But you know, our, the big thing is is we're hoping and and we'll appreciate you know ahead of time your kind of support and bearing with us through this. I want to make sure that we're still doing good work and that we're still you know putting out something that's interesting and educational over these next few weeks. But basically, we just we need we need about six weeks to regroup and get back on our feet before we can launch into season nine. So just to, I'm kind of rambling, but just to sum things up. What we're looking at is the next couple of weeks, probably two episodes about Deb's case. Uh, for the following four weeks, I'd like to do kind of maybe one-off episodes of you know if there's a case that you're interested in that you've heard on another podcast, um, or you've seen a documentary on, or just a, a, a kind of a, a, a case that you're super interested in. Let us know. And for those four weeks, we'll kind of, we'll probably do that and hopefully do some interviews. Uh, and then come about October 18th, we'll be launching into season nine. Uh, that is the plan as of right now. And as far as Deb's case, um, you know, again, we're just kind of spitballing ideas here. And so this, you know, this may not work out, but I would like to, I would like to allow and encourage the listeners that want to continue working on Deb's case to set up a, a message board or something of some kind where you all can do that. And so the work, you know, the truth and justice crowd will continue to work on the case. And as we find updates, then we'll come back and report them to you. So what do you think about that plan, Zach, since it's the first time you've heard it just now? <laughs> I, I like where it's going moving forward. I think that's a great idea. I think it really brings in what you guys are doing with the having the listeners help and moving forward. And I think that, that some good can really come out of this, and it might be a new process for you guys. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm excited to see what can happen because I know there are, in, in our audience listening to this right now, there are tens of thousands of people that are listening right now that are much more intelligent and better researchers than I'll ever be. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to if they just get the whole file to just dig into it. And also understand, I want to preface that too, because every new season we get new people and people come in and they're like, well, we want to see this trial transcript and why haven't you posted this? And why are you piecemealing stuff? It, to be honest with you, it, there's two reasons for it. One is we, it's, it's a process that is proven and works for us. When we put things out in small pieces, it allows our listeners to focus on one detail at a time, and we find things that have never been found before. And it, it's it can be slow sometimes, but it's just it's just if I if I give you a hundred documents, you're very unlikely to find to find something in document number thirteen. But if I give you document thirteen and say you got a week to look at this before I give you the next one, we're gonna find everything. Mm -hmm. And the other reason for it, to be frank with you, is is strictly a production issue. We had somebody that a listener. Newer listener that was on this season that is also a writer, and, and and the person was saying, "Well, you should put all the documents out, or why don't we have the trial transcripts and all that?" And and my response to that would be, you know, for someone to put it, look at it like this: if someone's writing a book on something, and they're doing a ton of research for their book, what they don't do is dump out all of their documents and research for public consumption before they publish the book, uh, if that makes sense. And so that's with us too. So. Every week, we're you know I'm taking our investigation. What we've been doing for these 500 episodes over all these years is to you know take the work we're doing this week and the information and try to put it into kind of a story format and then put it out to something that you all want to listen to. 
And if everything gets dumped out and everybody runs way ahead and every week when we get on the microphone and we start talking about what we found this week and it's all like, oh, yeah, we already saw all that. We, you know, there's nothing new um, just from a strictly production standpoint. It's just, it just doesn't work that way. Um, just to make that clear why this is different for you know, when we're not creating a podcast from the content every week, that's why it will work to say, here you go. Here's everything. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Getting back to the questions here. Fiona writes, Agnes kept referring to the difficult situation she was in at the time and that Brenda wasn't supporting her and Lloyd. What did she mean by that? As I understand it, Deb's issues were ongoing, so I presume it wasn't that. Was it that Agnes had gotten more ill recently? You know, that's a really good question, and I was wondering that myself. She keeps saying repeatedly that, that that Brenda is not there for her now when she needs them, and it was never really clear what she needed them for. It kind of reads like maybe it's all the stress of what's happening with Deb is what she's wanting support through, but I think there could be other things too. And the other thing is, so like we don't see anything in this doc, in this prayer journal at all about the the, the threats mm-hmm. that were mentioned. And a few people have noted that, like, oh, well, they probably didn't happen. But I don't, I don't think that, I mean, first of all, I don't take Agnes as a liar that went and just made it, spun up this story to everyone, you know, to her friends. I'm sure it's something that actually happened. But it seems like the, the prayer journal, the Dear Lord letters, are really focused on her family, you know, and so she's not talking about. But then I wondered if when she's talking about you know, I just, we need, what she keeps saying, we need help in this, these, you know, with what we have going on now. It's like, could that be part of it? Were they worried about that? And she just never made it clear. It's just, it's confusing. It's very confusing. And I don't understand why, if there was threats, why she didn't mention it. Because I, I understand like what you're saying, that it's about her family, but that's the safety of her family. Right. So, so why would you not bring up these threats or hint around it when she's talked about everything else? Yeah, I, 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 it's a good question, and, after, and unfortunately, there's no way to answer it. The other possibility is that we're missing some of this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that missing page that I found, I, so there, there's a single document, a PDF that was just, it, it's like, it was titled like Mrs. Courtney's Letters or something in the files. And it's got all these together, but they're kind of out of order, and I found there was pages missing. Then there's another subfolder that had a separate PDF for each individual page of the journal. And so I was going through one at a time, trying to figure out why I had this, you know, this one entry that, you know, the, the, the first half's cut off. And sure enough, there was a page in there that wasn't in the one document that's, that was supposed to have all of it. It was missing from that document and then put in, but it was available in the other one. And it got me thinking that maybe there's more, you know, this is, this is the, you know, the stuff they use for prosecution. Maybe there's more to it that they just didn't include. Because it wasn't either wasn't relevant to the case, you know, because if you think about it, you, the whole thing, right? The whole thing revolves around the daughters. Mm-hmm. Well, the state's case was that there was conflict with Deb, so it could be that the that the state only pulled out the parts or, or only have in the file the parts of the journal that were relevant to their case, 
know, and that's not to say, you know, say some big horrible conspiracy, but then it's been like, well, I don't, this stuff is irrelevant because we're trying to build a case based on, on the relationship with the daughter. So I, I think it's entirely possible that there was a lot more to that journal that we didn't get to see. The the other thing uh, that I think about too, going back to the, the question is it could just be because of their advancing age too, that they need more help than normal. Right. Yeah. Oh, as far as what the thing they need help with. Yeah. Yeah. Once you mentioned Smitty getting sick or is getting sicker and, mm-hmm. and, you know, she's having some health issues and a surgery, but you know, again, another example. So the, the threats aren't mentioned. Uh-huh. Well, also she mentions in there that they weren't there for us when we had the surgery and that, but it never says there's never an entry that says going in for surgery today or my surgery went well. Hmm. So I, I, I'm really leaning towards there was more to that file than what we have. Sue says, is it possible to get the evidence tested in this case despite Deb being deceased? It's unlikely for a number of reasons. The ones I mentioned already on the defense side, like do they, you know, how much effort is going to be put into this when it's not going to be able to help the defendant in a practical manner. But then you also have the judges, you have the prosecution. I just don't see any anybody putting effort, time, and resources into a case from the state's perspective. Deb is guilty, and now she's died, and the case is closed. You know, they're they're not just going to be like, oh, well, let's let me help you find out if maybe we sent the wrong person into prison, and it ended up killing them. They're not going to do you know. So they're going to you can almost guarantee the the state would fight against any kind of testing if you could get the defense to spend the time, money, and resources into trying to get the testing. And then even you know, with them fighting, then you have a judge that has to make a ruling on something that has a, a busy docket. You know, it just in, in, a, in a huge grand scheme picture, it, it, it would be like the right thing to do. But for, for all practical purpose, it, seems, it just seems really unlikely. Unless, unless you can present a very clear case, like, look, we have all this evidence. We are certain that she is innocent. So we need to, we need to test this if for no other reason to find the right person who actually did commit the murders. I think that would be the the end game for anybody would be the only way that it would happen is if they had viable evidence to point at somebody else. Right. Virginia says, when did the Courtney's give power of attorney to Brenda? It seems really strange that they would give her power of attorney if they had such a poor relationship. Uh, it, it was like two years before. And also it should be noted. All I found in the police reports or in the police file, as far as the the, the executor of the will is what it is being turned over to Brenda was only Agnes's. I don't know if anybody else caught that, but that was, there wasn't an Agnes and Lloyd Courtney will. There was an Agnes will. And in Agnes's will, she changed the executor. And she said, because, you know, Brenda make is good with finances. She makes smart decisions. But that was two years before this. You know, so obviously a lot of ch- had changed in the relationship over that two-year period. Ashley says, why was Agnes talking about the sex offenders in Deborah's neighborhood? Do we know anything else about this? I don't. All I can think of is it was around that time where the sex offender registry was going online. I could be, I'm always wrong when I think of technology and dates, but it seems like it was about then when it was like, hey, look, you can get online and look and see if there's sex offenders around. I think that's exactly it. And it's the fact that she has a granddaughter living there, that she's worried about it. I don't think it really has right. anything that pertains to this case. I think it's just a fact of she's a worried grandmother. Yeah, I agree. Laura wants to know, did Paul make a statement to police? I'm sure he did. We have little notes about discussions with Paul. We have Paul's polygraph report, but I don't have like a deposition from Paul, like a very clear statement that that he made. 
So if he if he made one, I I haven't either found it or don't have it. All right, our last question comes from Kimberly. She writes, "How is Angela? What does Angela think of the work we have done on the case? Does she support it? Does she want us to continue?" You know, I, I when I when I was messaging with Angela on Thursday, the the night that I found out that Deb had passed away, she was she, there was nothing about the investigation about her wanting to continue forward. What 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 she did tell me really it it made me feel very good about the work that we've been doing um you know i i had friend requested her so i could send her a message and you know i, I kind of you know hey you might not know who i am but and she said oh i absolutely know who you were i recognize the name and 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 she said she thanked me and all of you for the work that we've been doing on the podcast because she said her mom over these past few months during the podcast and, and her visits and communication or, you know, in, in communications with her and phone calls and stuff said that for the first time in decade, almost two decades, her mom finally felt like there was people out there who believed her. And, the, and she said that, you know, her mom was full of hope and she was she was so excited that people were helping her. But the big thing that really stuck out to her, as Angela shared with me, was that her mom for the first time knew that there were people out there that believed her and that meant the world to her. And it, it also means the world to Angela. And, you know, that's, I, I don't think that she necessarily wants things to continue or investigation any further. She's just very happy for the work we did. And she's glad that in the, her mom's final months that, that, that she had that positive outlook on things. Uh, with that being said, as we, as we wrap this up, the first message that I got from Allison after I spoke with her finding out that Deb had passed was that an IPTX, you know, helping try to, to facilitate the situation to get um, Deb's body brought back to Fort Worth for proper burial. She said that their, their initial estimates were that it was going to cost $14,000 to get her body back up to Fort Worth for a proper burial, which is partially why I, I reached out to Angela. And when I did, I found that one of Angela's friends had already put together a GoFundMe uh, to try to help pay for that because this is the burden seems to be falling on Angela to get this done. She wants to give her mother a proper burial. She's not necessarily, it seems like, in a position to be able to do that. Um, so the, the GoFundMe doesn't have a, a, an easy link that I can just I can just say to you to go to it. I will say though, I am so thankful and I feel so blessed to be a part of this team with all of you because just on social media not meant you know the episode had already been recorded so just on social media i put up the link to the gofundme and uh it was at about eleven hundred dollars had been raised at that point and over the next couple of days uh, i haven't looked today but i know as of yesterday which was tuesday we had raised uh over seven thousand six hundred dollars for angela to to bring her mother back and bury her and thank you to each and every one of you that that has donated I would love to see. I think they finally got the estimate between transporting and the actual funeral, and the new estimate, which is which is put up on the GoFundMe, is eighteen thousand dollars. Is what this is all going to cost, and I would love to see us to be able to, to to bear a large burden of that for Angela. If we can spread that out in you know in small amounts through all of us, so please, I have pinned to the Truth and Justice Facebook page. It's pinned as an announcement in the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. I put it up on Twitter and pinned it. And in Instagram, you can go to any of those places to find the link. Please, if you're able, even if, even if you're one of the people that believe that Deb Perringer was guilty, keep in mind this, this 
piece uh, of our work here is not about Deb Perringer. It is about a young girl who lost her mother, lost her grandparents at eight years old brutally, and then a year later lost her mother to prison. And all she wants to do is to give. She Angela has always believed in her mother. She still does. And all she wants to do is to be able to bury her mother. And I and I would love to see us for Angela to get them across that goal. So if you're if you're able to and willing, go onto social media anywhere and look for any of our social medias, and you'll see the the link to the GoFundMe. And with that being said, I think now's a good time. You said this last question, so we're going and wrap this up. And uh, we'll be discussing more in next week's follow-up, what the plan is going forward. But please, if you are uh, a tech-savvy type person that has some ideas of how we can we can put together this um, crowdsource investigation site somewhere, please let me know. I'd love to, if somebody can just pick, the, pick that up and, and take off with it and set it up for us, that'd be great. And also be thinking about cases where you'd like to just hear us kind of break down and weigh in on one episode at a time for the next six weeks or so before we launch into season nine. Thank you all. We love you all. Thank you all for your patience and support. And we're going to get through this and we're going to keep moving on. We're going to keep helping more people. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. 
And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Thank you.